Even though it seems that there is a base of people that uh, who agree on the ends fighting climate change, it seems that these people often do not agree on the ways to reach these ends. Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanefonter. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequality Talks. Thomas Douane is an assistant professor in economics at the University of Amsterdam. He received his PhD in November 2020 at the Paris School of Economics. His main research interests are in environmental economics. He studies theoretical approaches to understand optimal environmental policies and the political economy issues associated with these instruments. He spoke to me about his recent research on misperceptions and beliefs about the carbon tax in France. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to talk about your very important research with Adrien Fabre. We know that climate change is probably the most pressing global issue today, but there is a collective struggle to find the appropriate response. And you explore one of the potential reasons, which is there might be some widespread misperceptions about the impact of these climate change policies. Could you tell us how it started and what you are thinking about when you talk about these misperceptions? At the time of the recording, we are at the beginning of the COP26. And so for now, we don't know yet whether it's going to deliver. But clearly, we see that the world is facing a global challenge. And one of the main issues is the one of cooperation. So cooperation between countries and the free rider problem. But what we also see is that some countries are willing to implement environmental policies. And from citizens, there's also a demand for these policies. So we can see this from a manifestation of the civil society. We can see this also in politics and in surveys. But even though it seems that there is a base of people that agree on the ends fighting climate change, it seems that these people often do not agree on the ways to reach these ends. In particular, a point of contention is how to split the effort of mitigating climate change. And so at the beginning, my research was really focused on the redistributive impact of climate policies. And then in this other project, the, the one that I've done with Adrien Fabre, we focus more on the subjective perceptions that people have of the cost of climate change, how it's distributed, in particular, the cost of the climate mitigation policies, how it is distributed. And then so we are interested in how the perception of this redistribution affects uh, public support. So your paper focuses on a particular climate policy, which is the carbon tax, that generated a large political turmoil in France. Could you tell us more about the context and what happened when this policy was announced? The genesis of the project, so we started to work on this before the Yellow Vest movement, and then it striked, and so we really felt there was a need to accelerate a bit on the project. Just to give a bit of the context, so... The carbon price was rising year after year, so the policy was scheduled that way. But the policy and its whole trajectory was implemented at times where oil prices were rather low. And at the moment where the Yellow Vest movement started, it was in a context of much higher oil prices. And at that time, people started to wonder what could have caused these high prices. And some people started to point to the taxes that had been increasing a lot in the past years. When we think about the carbon tax, we also have to think more comprehensively about not only how the tax is set, but also what is done about the revenue of the tax. And in the specific French context, the increase in the carbon price 
came together with other policies that were rather favorable to richer people, like decrease in taxes on labor and capital. So the whole policy package was perceived as quite unfair by the people, and so the Yellow Vest movement started. So that's really the context. And so then what we did, it's a survey where the paper, methodologically, it's a survey, and we were trying to see if we were to propose to people an alternative way to tax carbon, meaning to tax carbon, but instead of using the revenue to decrease other tax, to redistribute it lump sum to all households, which is a policy that is known to be progressive, then whether the public support would have been higher or lower. And so in the survey that we ran, we clearly present a policy to people where we tell them by how much we will increase the carbon price. It corresponds to a 50 euro per ton of CO2, but we say exactly what will be the increase in the price of gasoline, heating oil, and so on. And we tell them how much they will receive as dividends. And then we inquire about whether they would support the policy and what are their beliefs about its effects. So I just wanted to ask you about the details of the survey and the implementation. So the question you ask is whether what people know about the policy affects how much they will support it. So how did it work with this survey? How did you implement it in practice? So we coded the survey with the Qualtrics, and then we went through a survey company that is called Bilandi, that distributes the survey in order to get uh, representative samples. So we give them quotas, and then they managed to find people that fit those quotas. And so in the end, we had 3,000 respondents that are representative of uh, the French population. And so then the way it works, well, it's simply we start by asking people about some of their characteristics, like sociodemographics, income. And then we ask our main question. So we give our, our policy proposal. We ask people what they think about it. And then we do a lot of different things to kind of try to dig a bit into what our people believes. But that's about the main structure. So you first document large misperceptions about the carbon tax itself. What do you find exactly? As I said, so there are different ways to do a carbon tax, and one that is quite popular among economists is to tax carbon and redistribute it lump sum to all households. And there has been a large support for this kind of policy among economists. We call it a carbon tax and dividend. And the idea is that such a policy will be progressive because even if lower income households spend a larger share of their income in pollution-intensive goods, in absolute value, they spend less. So if you redistribute the mean to everyone, then they will be made better off. And so there was a consensus that was building on the idea that such a policy would be largely accepted. And what we find is that it's not the case at all, at least in the French context after the Yellow West movement. And in particular, we see that 70% of the people will strictly disapprove the tax, 10% will approve it, rest being uncertain about whether to approve it or not. So overall, it's really uh, largely rejected. But the other thing we find is that this really large rejection, it also comes with pessimistic beliefs about the effect of the tax. And in particular, we find that people largely overestimate the cost of the tax on their own purchasing power. They think that the tax will be regressive and they do not perceive it to be environmentally effective. To 
To help us improve the policy design, you want to explore whether providing people with better information about the tax would increase the support for the policy. So how did you think about this information treatment and how did you customize to each respondent in your survey? Yeah, indeed. So we had several things in mind when we did this. One was to test whether the beliefs that people had were really encored or whether any bias they could have was just a lack of knowledge. Because we know that the exercise of trying to find out whether you win or lose from a policy is difficult. So we tried to give them a feedback about whether we expected them to win or to lose. So the way we did this is that we used all the information they had reported. And before the survey, we matched these different kinds of information to official survey data from which we could compute how much a nozzle with these characteristics would win or lose from the policy. And so then when people would answer, they would complete their characteristics, we could tell them that with five chance out of six, they would win or lose from the policy. And that's the probability that we estimated ourselves at our degree of accuracy. And so we give people this feedback, whether they're likely to win or to lose. And then we ask them again, now, given this information, do you think you will win, lose, or you don't know? What we observe then is how was it change their belief and so whether their beliefs are, are elastic or not. Um, but we can also check who changed their belief and so whether there is heterogeneity here. And so you find that people react differently according to their initial beliefs and you have some asymmetric response. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so first, when we look at people's beliefs, so before giving this information, we observe that the more people appear to be opposed to the tax, and in particular, the closer they are to the Yellow Vest movement, the more pessimistic they are with respect to the effect of the tax on themselves. And so then comes the question whether people are against the tax because they are pessimistic about the effects, or maybe they are pessimistic about the effect because they are opposed to the tax, because their beliefs could be endogenous to their initial opinion. That's what we find when we give this feedback. So more specifically, what we observe is that when we tell someone that used to think he was going to lose, that he's expected to win, that person usually doesn't believe that information. So even though we tell them with five chance out of six, you will win, only 12% of them update their beliefs. But on the other hand, when we tell people that thought that they will win, that they expect to lose, five out of six of them trust our information. So it seems that people fully believe our pessimistic information, but they do not believe the optimistic one. And then when we try to dig a bit more into who reacts in what way, we again find that the more opposed people are to the policy, the more likely they are to treat the same information in a more pessimistic way. It shows some evidence that beliefs are formed in endogenously given people's initial opinion about the policy. And do you find any heterogeneity by educational group? The general trend is that whatever the variables we will include, Whenever we will add the variables that are related to the affiliation with the Yellow Vest movement, they will the most capture all the heterogeneity. And so even the other political variables, such as being right or left, it's not significant anymore once you control for what people think about the Yellow Vest movement. So one thing that still appeared was people feeling about the environmentalists politically. That had an effect, but the other sociodemographic variable, most of them were really insignificant. La minute technique. So in this podcast, researchers try to take one minute to explain one technical aspect of their work. And I wanted to ask you about your alternative policy experiment when you try to 
assess the causal effect of beliefs of winning on the support for the policy. What's the general intuition in your approach and what do we learn from that? The initial difficulty we face when we want to know what is the effect of thinking that you win on your policy approval is that the belief of winning is correlated with many things. And so if you believe that you're going to win, you are also more likely to think that the policy will be effective, that it's progressive and so on. So the challenge was really to try to isolate the effect of belief of winning to then explain how that affects the policy approval. So to do that, we submitted to people another policy, which was the following. So again, the carbon tax, the same, except that now the revenue will be transferred only to people below a certain income threshold. And depending on the respondents, we will make the income threshold vary, such as Roughly speaking, so each respondent would have one chance out of two to be just above or just below the threshold. And in that way, we could get random variation in the likelihood of winning, and so in people's beliefs of winning. And then in a two-stage B-square, we could explain what people approval of the policy, depending on their beliefs about winning, that was explained exogenously. So that was the idea. Then we had also an alternative treatment where, because we initially gave people a feedback or on whether they will win or lose, we could also exploit the discontinuity over around the people that were told that they will win or lose because that feedback was based on a continuous variable on whether the estimation that they will win or lose was above or below zero. And so again, we could identify a discontinuity here and see those that were told that they will win versus those that were told that they will lose would have a different answer in terms of beliefs and then in terms of policy approval. And so what do you find when you implement this strategy? So what we find is that the belief that once wins from the policy personally has a huge impact. And so in particular, it increases the likelihood to accept the tax by 50 percentage points. Depending on the treatments, on the specifications, it's between 50 and 60 percentage points, but it has a large impact. To compare this, we also do a similar thing by playing on people's beliefs about the efficiency of the policy where here we give the same information to everyone. It's randomized, so some have the information, some don't have. And then we have a clean instrument to see if you are told that the policy is effective, you become more likely to think that it is, what's the effect on the policy approval? And there also increase substantially support rates. So people are like around 40 percentage points more likely to accept. So we see that these effects are quite big. So if you can convince people that either the policy is effective or that they will personally win, then the, the approval will increase quite sharply. So overall, what we are learning from your research is that there are large misperceptions on climate change policies and that affects the support for these policies. So why should we improve in the policy design if we want to better tackle climate change? Should we improve our knowledge of citizens' beliefs about climate change? Should we think about better ways to convey information? What are your thoughts on that? It's a really complicated question. I don't have a straightforward answer. So we know that climate change is a global problem that affects all sectors of the economy. And so it's clear that if we want to find a solution, we have to play on several different levels. As many economists, I think that carbon taxation or carbon pricing in general, it's a necessary policy. So without that kind of instrument, it's going to be really difficult to achieve our goals. In one way or another, we have to make pollution more costly if we want people to reduce their pollution. So the big question then is how to make that more desirable to people and also how to convince them that this is a good strategy. So I don't yet have a clear answer on how to achieve that. 
One big hope that I had and that I still somewhat have is about the Climate Convention. So it's an initiative that has been done in France following the Yellow Vest Movement, where citizens were randomly chosen and then gathered to discuss about climate change. They were providing a lot of information about climate policies, the effects of climate change, and then they came with policy proposals. What we have seen from that is that people have been really good at understanding the subject, trying to make policy proposals, so that has been quite effective. Now, how that translates into actual policies, it's for now, we don't have clear evidence that this is going to work, but let's be hopeful. So we see at least that when people debate, when they are providing the evidence, then they can really make use of this information and come up with good policy recommendations. So to conclude, I wanted to ask you if you had any recommendations for our listeners of a movie, a podcast, a book, whatever you would want to share with us. Yeah, so I will share a book that I recently read. It's not about the environment. So it's a book by Michael Sandel that is called The Tyranny of Merits, What's Become of the Common Good. So that's something I read because I'm discussing this topic of meritocracy with a colleague. And I found it really inspiring. So I read several books on the topic, and that was the one that gave me the most insights. So the basic idea of the book is that so we tend to criticize that we are not able to achieve the meritocratic ideal. And Sandel's position is a bit different. It says that even if these principles of meritocracy were satisfied, still meritocracy has a dark side, which is that it provides hubris among the people that succeed. It generates humiliation among those that are left behind. The idea is that when people don't succeed, not only on material grounds they are worse off, but also they have the feeling that people like elites look down on them. And so that was, for me, really interesting to read this, partly because it resonates with the, the Yellow Vest movement. And also, I think, more generally speaking, when we think about redistributive policies, as economists, we tend to think about the instrumental value, meaning who gets what. But it has also another side, which is what are the new narratives that people will be able to tell about how they succeed, how social justice is defined in society. And that's quite important as well. On a side note, I also think reading about meritocracy is good for self-inspection, especially because as academics, we have our own experience of meritocracy because we went through academia. We usually succeeded, but sometimes failed. And we all have our own narratives about how we got here. And also because... As Sandals pointed out, the academia and university in general has somehow become sort of a sorting hat of people in society. And as many of us are now teachers and we are supposed to grade students, we are part of the functioning of this sorting hat. So it's a good idea to think a bit about what it means to sort people at the university. Thank you so much, Thomas, for sharing your research and your thoughts with me. Thank you, Clementine. This was Inequality Talks a podcast recorded by Clémentine Vanifantère in Toronto. I want to thank Clémentine Benoit for editing this episode. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.